Tonight we're going to continue our study here in the book of Romans, chapter 2. We, we made the turn last week, finished up chapter 1. And we kind of bumped into the first couple of verses here in chapter 2. And, and Paul, as, as we closed out last week, he just began dealing with the sin of hypocrisy. He, he began dealing with the hypocrite. And we, we kind of bumped into it a little bit, but there's, there's so much on this. Paul spends a good bit of time talking about it. I just thought it was a, a good time to just stop, but we're going to pick up because Paul actually has quite a bit to say about about being a hypocrite um, about saying one thing and doing another or living one way or accusing other people and, and kind of as Jesus put it looking past the beam in your own eye and pointing out the speck in somebody else's so and tonight I'm going to read the first 16 verses here and then we'll go back and take a look at them uh, a little bit closer verse number one Romans chapter two therefore thou art inexcusable O man Whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same thing. But we're sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render unto every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor, immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of a man that doeth evil of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Father, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for this letter that you, that you wrote through the hand of Paul and you preserved it and handed it to us. God, I pray right now you open our hearts, our minds. God, I pray you speak to each one of us. God, may, may these words not fall on one deaf ear. God, there's stuff in here for every one of us. None of us are above reproach. None of us are without fault. None of us are without failure. God, every one of us just need a touch from heaven. Every one of us need help and guidance, God, to walk in the path that you would have. God, I pray, would you teach us something this night, God? I pray you'd speak through your word. Help us all to learn something, God, that might help us to be a better Christian, God. We just want to serve you. We love you. We thank you. Lord, we trust you with everything we have, and we give you all praise, honor, and glory for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen. One of the things that, that got my attention here as I was reading, and I want to look at it before I, I pick back up with the hypocrite there in verse number 3. <laughs> but Paul says, according to my gospel. Now, that may not be anything to you. that You may click right off and might have known. But when I read that, I thought, what does he mean, my gospel? According to my gospel. 
So you know the answer to that when you see something like that is you do a word study, right? You look up what the two words mean, my gospel. So I did a word study, and that'll fix everything. So I did a word study on the words my gospel. You know what it means? It means my gospel. It didn't help me none. So, so I kept on looking. I thought, what, what is he talking about, my gospel? So I did a little bit of research. I found that he says the same thing again at the end of the letter, verse number 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul writes it a third time. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Paul is always pointing everything to Christ. Everything is always, always about Christ. He never takes any credit. He never points anything to himself. He points everything to God. And I thought, why would he say it like that? So after studying a little bit, it wasn't nearly as difficult as I had made it out to be. It's not my gospel that I write. It's my gospel that I believe. This is my gospel. If you are a child of God, this is your gospel. This is the gospel that, that we believe. This is the gospel by which we were saved. This is the gospel by which we are redeemed. And this is the gospel by which we will be resurrected we have the same gospel as the apostle paul which means my gospel is a gospel in which i fully believe and so that's what paul was talking about but then back to number three where i wanted to get to i don't know maybe that was something good for somebody else it just got my attention when it said my gospel so i, I wanted to to clarify that verse number three looking back at the hypocrite he says Thinkest thou this, old man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Jesus gave us a, a great example of a hypocrite. Luke chapter 18, verse number 10, it, it, or verse number 9, it says that he spake this parable, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And this is the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, with one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You notice all of the personal pronouns in the Pharisee's prayer, all of the personal exaltations, all of the, the personal recognition. You see the personal pat on the back. I mean, he starts out, I thank thee, God. I mean, he starts out like this is going to be a good prayer. That would be the way that you think everybody want to start one off. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for, and you begin to go off. But, but that's about the only good thing he said, because what he said, I thank thee for, is that I am not as other men are. Then he begins to name their sins as if though he didn't have any. I fast twice a week as if though that made him holy. I, I give my tithes of, of everything that I possess as though he could purchase heaven. The publican standing afar off not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. That's the man that went down to his house justified. 
the difference here is that the Pharisee sees himself as good. The, the Pharisee, he, he sees himself as being good enough to get into heaven. He, he sees himself as someone who deserves to go to heaven. He deserves that God should take him to heaven because of the things that he does and because of who he is and the way he does things. The, the publican knows that, that he has nothing within himself to offer God. He has nothing worthy of heaven. The only thing that is going to get him into heaven is God's grace and God's mercy. So when he falls before God, he bows his head and he won't even look up because he's so ashamed of what he is. And he knows that God's mercy is all that he needs and God's mercy is what he prays for. Verse number 4, Paul asks another question. Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? In 597, Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem. He, he's the king of Babylon, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. He went to Jerusalem and, and he overtook the city and he took many people captive and he carried them back to Babylon as, as slaves, as prisoners. He carried them back. But, but he left a lot of people there, and he appointed like a governor, if you would, or maybe a, a minor king under him, someone there to, to look over the city. But those that were left at Jerusalem, they began to think that, well, they must be favored of God. We must be highly favored. God spared us. Those who were carried away, they must have had it coming to them. They, they must have got what? They deserve. We must be special because Nebuchadnezzar came here and, and, and we, weren't, we weren't carried away. It's a time when they should have been thanking God for sparing them. It's a time when they should have been thanking God for his mercy. They should have been thanking God for his grace. It was a time when they should have been thanking God for forbearance and his long suffering, as Paul says here in the text. They should have been thanking God for his goodness, but instead they spent their time patting themselves on the back as though they deserved it. A little more than 10 years later, 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar pays him another visit. This time he destroys Jerusalem, burns down the walls, destroys the temple, killed many of the people at Jerusalem, those who thought they were above reproach, and that's why they got left there the first time, and the others he carried away as captive. Today there's a, a lot of people in this world that think like the Jews who were spared in that day. That They think like the Pharisee that it was praying and bragging, boasting on himself about what it does. See, they think Calvary is something they deserve. They, they think that God pouring his wrath out on his own son is, is something that they're worthy of. They look at God's mercy and they look at God's grace as though they deserve it. That they see themselves as blessed in this life. They see themselves with a nice house and nice cars and maybe a little money in the bank. And they see it as though they deserve it because they've done good things and God should give them all that. They, they think all of those things are rewards. They're looking past God's grace. And they're looking past God's mercy. And they're thinking because of the things I did. That's why God's given me these things. See, they, they think because God doesn't judge them now over the little pet sins and the things they do in the dark. They think that God's never going to judge them. But then when a trial comes, you know, something like the financial collapse of 2008 or COVID-19 of 2020, when a trial comes, when, when the money's gone out of the bank or sickness shows up at the doorstep and things go wrong, then they want to blame God. See, they, they want to think that God doesn't have any right to take what they have because they think they deserve those things. Paul points out that's a hypocrite. 
you, you see God's goodness as something that you deserve, and, and you cast judgment on others because in your mind, in your way of thinking, they don't have what you have, and they don't, they don't have what you have because they're not as good as you. They, they, they don't have what you have because they, they don't do what you do. They, they don't pay what you pay at tithes. Or you think that the things that you have is based on what you do good, and the reason they don't is because they're, they're just not as close to God as you are. See, the problem with the true hypocrite is that right now they have no idea I'm talking to them. The problem with the true hypocrite, a true hypocrite will get nothing out of a message like this because they're holier than thou. Everything is perfect. Everything is righteous. I'm doing good. That's it. You talk about those sinners. You get on those adulterers. You get on those out there, those homosexuals, and you get on those out there tearing stuff down. To be honest, the, the real hypocrite gets very little out of the message. God says, them, God put this in there for a purpose. He put it in there for people like me. He put it in there to make sure that we keep ourselves humble, keep ourselves pure, and understand that we're filthy rags, sinners deserving of hell. And if God sent us to hell today, he'd be right and just in doing so. And the only reason he won't is the grace and the mercy of a loving God. But we set ourselves up on pedestals as though we're doing something good. The hypocrite, they won't even hear a message like this. They'll think, boy, that was a good message. I hope so-and-so was listening. Verse number 5, Paul says those in this category says they're going to face a judgment. After thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up at thy wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. After the hardness of their heart, after the impenitence of their heart, that, that word means unrepented. It means that they, they haven't repented in their heart because in their heart they think God owes it to them. God must be blessing them because they're so good, so they have nothing to repent of. There's nothing there to repent about. Now, Paul says that they treasureth up unto thyself wrath. Now, think about what that means to treasure up something. Treasureth up unto thyself. What does it mean to treasure up something? Well, if you have them take a little bit out of your paycheck every month and put it into a retirement account, you're treasuring up something for your retirement. If you have them take out a little bit uh, and, and put it into an emergency fund over here in case something happens, um, you know, you have to go, you get sick, or you have to go without a job for a while, a little emergency fund. So you put a little bit, of, you're, you're treasuring up something in case of emergency. And then, and then you have them take a, a little bit out here and, and you put it over in this savings account. This is a savings account for something. Maybe you want to take a family vacation, a nice vacation or something that you want to buy. And so you put a little bit in a savings account. And if you like most of us, if you put it in three places, you don't have enough left to live on. But it's still a good example. So you, you put it in these places. Paul, Paul says they are treasuring up things right here that they are treasuring up they are they are storing up they they are saving up a little more judgment each day in their hypocrisy in their judgment of others every day they're making a deposit into their judgment account and one day judgment is coming and the entire account will be unfolded onto their life because of what they've been putting in you know i, I was trying to trying to think of an example <laughs> of how judgment would be when, when you bring the judgment on yourself. You do things to cause judgment, and you can't stop it. I was thinking about a pond. You've got a little farm pond early in the morning, especially there's no wind blowing. There's a little 
mist coming up off the water. It's just beautiful. You hear the birds and all in the background. And since there's no wind, there's no waves, no ripples, it's just slick as glass. Now, you can leave it that way, or you can choose to cast something into the water. If you're fishing, you cast a lure into the water. If you're there, you may take a rock and just cast into the water. But when you cast something into the water, it starts an effect. It begins a ripple effect, and everything begins to ripple. And as it goes, it grows. It gets more and more of them, and they ripple. And every ripple in every direction will reach to the farthest shore. There's nothing you can do to stop the ripples. There's nothing you can do to make them go away. You can cast more rocks into the water. You, as they go out, you can cast rocks on the outside and try to divert them. But all that does is makes more ripples. You can control casting the stone into the water, but you can't control where the ripples go. See, God is going to weigh not only everything that we do, but the reason that we do it. God doesn't just judge the action, but he, judge, he judges the desire of the heart. He judges why we did the action. You take somebody, they come to church, they're sitting at the pew, an offering plate comes by. So they drop a five spot in it. They think they've done God a favor. They really didn't want to put the five spot in it. They just happened to be sitting in a plate come by, and they didn't, want to, they didn't want to feel bad. So they put a five spot in it. It, it, it wasn't a desire of the heart. They, they don't look at the fact that they're robbing God. They don't look at the fact that Malachi says they're robbing God and not pay their tithe. And, and at least the first 10% of everything that God blesses belongs to God. They don't look at the fact that they're walking and living in sin. They just looked at the fact that I put a five spot in there and now God owes me something. I mean, God forbid they should put a 20 spot in there and on the way home stop and get a pack of cigarettes and they can't afford them because they put a 20 in there and now they ticked off because they didn't have change from the usher. They, they look at things. People, people look at things all, all bent out of shape. At no point in the Bible does it say that God will reward those who regretfully pay something into the offering plate. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, says, I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. This has nothing to do with what your hand does reaching out of your pocket. It's what does your heart think about it? When you, what is it that, 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 that you desired when you put in there? Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a, a cheerful giver. So, so it's not whether or not a, a man robbed God. God is, is looking at this as to why did he put the money in the plate in the first place? Did he put it there because he felt obligated to do so? Or does he simply love God? And he simply wants to do the commandments of the book because he knows doing the commandments of the book is being a doer of the word, which is what we looked at earlier. A doer of the word is the one that will receive the rewards and not receive the condemnation. They want to be a doer of the word. So they put into the plate. They, they give offerings above their tithes. They help support the missionaries around the world because that is a doer and they simply want to please God. Well, everybody out there done turned me off, but that's okay. I learned me plenty while I was studying. Paul says, Treasures up thyself, wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. I, I want to look at verse number 7, but I'm going to read 7 through 11 at one time because there's an appearance here that, that I want to discuss just for a minute. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor, immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first 
and also the Gentile. Here, here's what I want to look at. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Now, if, if you take that text and you don't take the Bible into context, it appears that Paul says that men are saved by their works. That they're given these blessings, they're given these things based on their works. But that goes against everything that the Word of God teaches. That goes against everything in context from in the beginning to amen. Not just in the entire Word of God, but it goes against everything that the Apostle Paul teaches. Not only in all 13 of his letters, but even here in this letter. Yes, men will be judged by their works. That's what Paul said is true. Proverbs 24, 12, If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not. Doth he that pondereth the heart consider it? He that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And, it shall, and shall he not render to every man according to his works? Jesus himself told us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, The Son of Man shall come in, his glory, in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. This has nothing to do with the salvation of God. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our works cannot earn our salvation. Our works are a result of our salvation. So here in the text, Paul says, Who will render every man according to his deed? And then in verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9, he, he measures the measure by which men are going to be judged. And then in verse 10, But glory, honor, peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. See, in, in the day that, that this was written, the Jews would have spent many hundred years now living according to the strictness of the law. Remember, the Gentile didn't have the law. The, the law wasn't written for the Gentiles. They, they were the dogs or the outcasts. The law was written to the Jews. The law was hand-delivered by God to Moses up on the mount. So the Jews had the law for a long time. There's a responsibility for all men to know the law, but there's a greater responsibility to those who are exposed to the Word of God more. If, if you live... In the United States of America, you are without excuse. If you live in this country, we are one nation under God. If you live in America, this is a country that our very foundation, our constitution, and everything involving this country is based on the Holy Scriptures. Everything in this country surrounds the Word of God. Everything in this country was given to us by God and points. This is a Christian nation. If you don't like it, you're welcome to pack up and move on. But this is a Christian nation. We serve the one true God. His Son, Jesus Christ, is the only Lord and Savior. And we proclaim the gospel. If you have lived in this country any length of time, you've already heard that. You're going to hear it again. You'll hear it many more times. It is called exposure to the truth, as opposed to somebody in other countries, they may only hear it once or twice in their entire life. So because you hear it more and more and more and more, that there is a, a higher level, there is an increased judgment because of your continual rejection of the truth, your continual turning away from the truth of God, your continual rejection of the Son of God and the gift that He's offered. The more you are exposed 
to the light. The more opportunities you have, the more times you're given a chance to come to the light, and the more times you, you deny that, the judgment is only increased. You receive more and more opportunities, and that was the case with the Jew and the Greek. And, but, but Paul says that they'll both be held accountable. Light is separation from darkness. When, when someone in darkness is exposed to the light, their response is determined by what's in their heart. Again, I was trying to, to think of an example to, to help understand what it looked like on being drawn to a light. <clears throat> Several years ago, <clears throat> two, two friends and I, we did an annual hunting trip. We went to Colorado. And up from Craig, we used to drive about 20 miles in. We turned on a dirt road. You could drive about probably close to six miles, and then we would park there, and we would pack into the mountains, and, and we would camp for nine days and, and hunt. And on one of the days, we had, we had gone in together back into this section of the mountains, and then we separated out. When I got back in there, man, I saw a monster bull elk. He had a harem of about 30 cows, and there was little satellite bulls all around that made it extremely difficult to try to get close to this animal. And, of course, all we ever do is bow hunt. So I'm, I'm trying to get within about 25 yards of this animal, but there, there's literally elk all over the woods. And so I'm moving and moving and moving, and the closer I got to him, I was trying to be quiet. So I took my backpack off. Now up there, it, it gets probably in the low to mid-60s in the daytime, and it's beautiful. But as soon as it gets dark, it starts falling. In the night, it gets down into the high 20s, low 30s. And so when you go out in the morning, you have jackets on. You take them off, put them in your backpack. At dark, you, you put them back on. Well, I was trying to stay close to this bull. I was trying to get in close enough with all these cows um, to get within a range that I needed to be. And so I took everything off, put it in my backpack. All I had on was just a T-shirt, and I left my backpack hanging on a tree. I went on a little bit further. We got into what's called the dark timbers. It, it's the spruce trees, and it's almost dark in the daytime in the dark timbers. And they were making their way through, and I had my quiver with my, my fanny pack stuff on and still had stuff in my pocket. I'm like, man, I've got to get quiet. I've got to get agile. I've, I've got to get where I can get within all these animals not make noise. So I took everything off. I emptied my pockets. I put it in my fanny pack. I hung it up on a limb there in the dark forest. And, and I went on, and I followed this bull for seven miles before dark. I know that because later I had to get a topo map and go over the topo map to find out how to go back and get all my stuff that I'd left scattered throughout the woods up there. But um, <laughs> I had followed him for seven miles, and I mean right at dark. I, I, I had intentions. I just, I just want, I wanted to take that, that bull home with me. He was, he was a very beautiful animal, and I just thought he needed to go to, to LaGrange, Georgia. So just before dark, uh, all I had was my bow and, and one arrow, and, and I'd put my knife on my belt. That's all I had. And, and right before dark, I made good use of my, my one and only arrow. Well, by the time I got through doing the things I needed to do, it was dark. Well, when I left camp that morning, I had a mag light in my backpack. I had a mini mag in my fanny pack. <laughs> and I had one of the other little mini mags in my pocket, but remember my little trip through the woods and I had vacated all of my earthly possessions. I had a bow and a knife, and neither one of those do any good in the dark. I am 12 miles from camp in the Colorado Rockies. It is smut black. It's a cloudy night. I start trying to walk back. I'm going very far at all, 
and in the middle of nowhere, I get tangled up in barbed wire. I'm talking, I'm in the forest, on a mountain in the Rockies. I get in barbed wire. That's all on my feet. It's dark. Can't see. I'm trying not to tear my pants. I finally get loose, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to get back. I can think about a couple of cliffs going by that way. I can't see, and I said, there's no way. There's a place called Pinnacle Peak. It's the highest point around. It gets above the tree line, and the reason Pinnacle Peak's important is because no matter where we're hunting, you can keep an eye on it, and that kind of knows where you are. Well, I'm standing on the shelf that goes to Pinnacle Peak, which goes above the tree line. I guess I need to get up above the tree line where I can see. So I climb, and I get up on the shelf, and as I'm climbing, I turn, and I look back, and way Way, way down there in that bottom, I, I see what looks like a light. It's just a little bit of a light. I don't know. Maybe it's a street light, but, but it ain't moving. It ain't a car. It's, it's, it's a light, but the wind is freezing, man. By now, I'm, I'm cold. Wind's right in my face. I thought, man, I'm going to climb on up Pinnacle Peak and look off the other side. So I get to the top, and <clears throat> I mean, by now, all you can see is just skyline, horizon, nothing down, but way, way over there in the bottom. I see a light. They're about equal distance, but if I go that way, I figure I'm going to freeze to death anyway, and i got to walk into the wind. If I go here, at least the mountain will block the wind off. It'll be to my back. This is a better way. So I set out walking through the dark, and finally I got through the, the dark timbers, and I got to the aspen forest, which helps because those trees are white. At least you can see them right before you run into them. And, and I made it out of the aspen trees, and you, you get down eventually down in the bottom. I mean, this is miles. You get down into the meadows, and... You can tell that it's kind of grassy. You can't really see. It's dark. But I'm walking. I, I can see something. It looks like this black carpet right here. I can see something. It's dark. And I mean, I get down trying to look at it. And I thought, man, that must be a good trail right there. We need to come back and scout this place out. I got up and took a step. It wasn't a trail. It was a creek. I fell straight off in the creek. Got up out of the creek. I went about another mile. I'm just walking along in the meadow, taking one step at a time. Boom, disappeared into a well. Fell off in it, water coming up on this side, running out on this side. My knife fell off, and I find my bow, I find my knife. Fortunately, it wasn't but about yay deep, so I climbed back up out of it. By now, I'm only about a mile from that light. The whole thing had been about the light. When I went to climb up, I could see just, just the other side of me, I could see a barbed wire fence. So if I wouldn't have fell in that old well, I would have walked into the barbed wire fence. I climbed through the fence. I finally got that man's house. I don't remember. It was one something in the morning. I just wanted some water out of his water spigot, but I was afraid he'd think somebody was robbing him and shoot me. So I knocked on the door, and they finally came. And I just asked him, could I borrow his water fountain for a minute? He's like, son, what, what are you doing? And I, I told him what I'd been doing up there and, and what happened how I got to there. And he said, well, let me, let me fix you a glass of water. He brought me a glass of water, and we talked for a little bit. And I said, sir, if you don't mind, this, that dirt road out there at the end of your driveway, if I go that way, will that go by? I don't remember the county road number that goes up to where camp was, but I said, if I go that way, can, can I get back to that dirt road to, to get back up to camp? Because I ain't going back through them mountains. And um, he says, son, is that where you come from? I said, yes, sir. He said, buddy, it's 25 miles back to that road. And I said, well, I mean, it's not like I got a lot of choice. I'd rather go around the road than around the mountain. I said, eventually I got to go back because I got an elk and a bunch of stuff that belongs to me up there. But um, So he, he gave me a ride and, and got back around. And But, but, but the story is, is this. It's for anyone who is in the darkness, they're drawn to the light. For anyone who is in the darkness and they want out of the darkness, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get to where the light is. The light is a sign of safety. The, the, the light is a safety zone. The light, the light is help. So anybody that is in the dark and, and wants to get out of darkness, they will go to the light. They are drawn to the light. 
But those who are in darkness and are up to no good and want nothing to do with the light, they will run when they see the light coming. The more often they are exposed to the light, the more accountable they will be. See, in this country, those living in darkness, those lost in this dark and dying world, they are exposed to the light frequently. Daily someone hands them a track. Daily they hear someone pray. Daily they see someone say a blessing at a table. Daily they hear someone expose them to the light. Something is said about truth. Something is said about Christ. Something is said about God. Something that can give them deliverance. But because they don't want that, they run from the light. Both men are in the dark. But it boils down to the response to the light is determined by what's in their heart. And their response to the light is where they're going to end up. The more time somebody is exposed, the more opportunities they have to escape the darkness. All men are going to be judged. But those who are exposed day in and day out and continually reject the gift of God, judgment will be greater. Every man will be judged according to his works. It's not the works of another. Paul says to the hypocrite, you take care of your own garden. You pull your own weeds. You make your own bed. You worry about you and your plate will be full. If you'll get up in the morning and set your sights on taking care of your day, if you even take half decent care of your day, you ain't got time to cut nobody else's grass. You ain't got time to get in nobody else's business. You got plenty of garbage of your own. Paul says to the hypocrite, get up in the morning, get your nose in this book. Study this book. Let God show you what you need to fix in you. Let God show you what's wrong with you. Don't get up and tell God how good you think you are or how much you think God owes you. God owes you nothing. God has given us grace and mercy. It is the gift of God that you and I are saved. Paul says that we're to boast about nothing. Verse number 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. That, that my gospel, remember what we looked at, that's what we looked at at the beginning, the, what I fully believe. What you and I believe, if you believe this is the word of God, then this is your gospel. And if this is your gospel, then you know that in the day that God is going to judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. You think you have your little secrets. You think you have your little pet sins. You, you know, the things that you think about or the things that you do, the things that you look at on your phone, you think nobody else knows. You, all, all the things that you think nobody else knows what's going on. God says you're walking in darkness while you're pretending to be in the light. You're claiming one thing. But you're doing something else. You, you boast this life as though you're some great Christian, but you're living in your little pet sins. And God says, I'm going to reveal the secrets. Nobody else may know about it. God says, but I know about it. I know all about it. And on Judgment Day, I'm going to reveal all of it. He says, the hypocrite is going to be exposed for who he really is. So how do you take care of that now? Well, you confess your faults before God. You admit your sins. You understand that as Christians, we're not perfect. As Christians, we make mistakes. As Christians, we, we battle the flesh every single day. God, forgive me uh, of every evil thought, every evil deed, every wrongdoing, but then repent. See, you gotta, we look back at the beginning. Paul talked about repent. The hypocrite doesn't think they need to repent because they don't think they have anything to repent of. Well, unless you're perfect, you do. 
And if you think you're perfect, then you're not reading this book enough. You've got the wrong measuring stick because this book shows us the only one perfect is Jesus Christ. And we measure ourselves against him, they're, they're failures. So what we have to do is every day go before God and, and confess our sins. But, but not just confess them, repent. Turn away from them. Don't go back to them. You, 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 can't, you can't watch the garbage that's on TV and sit there and cast stones and talk about all the evil that's going on, all this doing. If, if, if you're watching a lot of it, then you're already contributing to it. You really have no reason to watch that filth in your own house. You, you don't have a reason to need to go to the movies and pay good money to watch filth. If it's filth, you don't need to indulge in it. If you indulge in it, then you have no right to talk about it because the Bible says that those who do it, or those who approve of it are just as guilty as those who do it. To, to approve of it can be worse than doing it because to approve of it means it's okay and then everybody else does it. God says there's going to be a reckoning day. Paul's talking to the hypocrite right here, the one that thinks they don't have any problems, the one that thinks they're doing everything right. Paul's letting us know. He said, you better get some stuff right. You, you better realize how vile and wicked you are and how good God's grace is. You better get some things right, and, and you better turn away from your sin, turn away from your iniquity, and, and try to walk with God and let God be the light. Well, that's a pretty good place to stop. For tonight, we can pick up. That's, that's not quite through. We, we skipped 13, 14, and 15 right there. Um, but we'll, we'll leave off right there, Lord willing. We'll, we'll probably just kind of close out on that to start next Wednesday night if it's the Lord's will. If not, we'll, we'll consider it done and move on past it. You pray for me. I'll study this week.